Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on Green Earth Radio. We've got a great show for you today. I was off last week, but now I'm back to kick off Independence Month. Our guest is Hannah Crum of Kombucha Camp. Plus, our desserts will tell you how to live appropriately for the upcoming week. But first, let's go to our appetizers and find out what happened this week in the world of real food. Researchers at the University of Barcelona have found that pesticide-free tomatoes have higher levels of antioxidants than the conventional kind. The studies also show organic tomatoes could stop the spread of some cancers and protect against conditions such as arthritis. This news might not come as much surprise to listeners of this show, but the study is powerful evidence to those that doubt the health gains in organic food. Next... The House of Representatives has added a provision into the Agricultural Appropriations Bill that would require the Secretary of Agriculture to grant a temporary permit to plant genetically modified crops even if a federal court has given an order for the planting to be stopped until an environmental impact study is done. Here's more reason to support the mandatory GMO labeling initiative on the ballot this November. And the GMO ballot initiative now has a number, so remember, please vote yes on Proposition 37 this upcoming November. As the ban on foie gras sales in California went into effect July 1st, the restaurant industry has gone to federal court, requesting to have the ban removed for a vast number of reasons. One argument is that the law is too vague to enforce, as it forbids overfeeding, but says no standards for weight, volume, or calories. As I'm strongly opposed to the foie gras ban, which I think if you've been listening, you know that, I support the efforts of the restaurant business. You can find out more about how to still get foie gras in the dessert segment of this show. Also, the United Nations, an agricultural organization, reported that by 2018, farmed fish will exceed the number of wild fish. The UN says the fish demand has risen because fish are a valuable source of protein. The problem is... Our bodies aren't able to digest farm fish the same way as wild-caught seafood. Fish is certainly important food to get in your diet, but it's good to consume a variety of other omega-3 proteins, such as grass-fed beef. And finally, Kraft Foods subsidiary Oscar Mayer is another big ag company that will no longer obtain pork from suppliers that use gestation crates. Gestation crates are metal cages that are so small that the pregnant sows are unable to move. Kraft Foods is the second largest food company in the world and ranked by some as the biggest eco-villain in the food industry. Kraft still has long ways to go, but it's good to see that even big companies like them are moving in the right direction. And with Kraft, that brings us pretty well into our main course. Today is our first show of Independence Month. What is Independence Month, you ask? Well... In July, we celebrate our independence as a country. On the appropriate omnivore, we celebrate our independence, meaning independently owned businesses. Every week, we'll be looking at a different area of the food industry that's dominated by giant companies and tell you what alternatives are out there. Today, we're tackling soft drinks. Pepsi is the largest food company, and Coca-Cola falls in at number 13 on the list. Those two companies, along with Dr. Pepper, Snapple Group, provide the majority of soft drinks that we find in our supermarkets and restaurants. These businesses all sell drinks, which are filled with high fructose corn syrup. And even the nutritionism world is beginning to learn that diet sodas aren't any better as they contain unnatural sweeteners, which were developed in labs. Even the Mexican Cokes aren't that great for you. Cane sugar is still heavily refined from the original source. Now, this isn't to say I don't like to drink an occasional cane sugar root beer. Well, if we want comforting daily drink other than water, we need to find something better. Personally, I like to go for kombucha. It's a raw, all-natural drink that allows your body to get in the needed sugars. Here to talk with me about kombucha is our good friend, Hannah Crum of Kombucha Camp. Hannah, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me this Saturday morning. It's beautiful out here in L.A. Absolutely, and it's always great to have you. Um, We've kind of gotten the point now in the show where... We've been uh, on for a little while, so we're starting to do a little uh, repeat guests. So, you know, tell us a little uh, what updates are going on with Kombucha Camp. 
Well, um, we're keeping busy here for sure. This uh, tomorrow, we're at the free st- uh, the Santa Barbara Fermentation Festival, which we're very much looking forward to. Um, but we've just been keeping real busy, putting out the information and updating the store, adding new products. We're very excited about that, um, the new things that we've got going on. So uh, we're very grateful to be here. So I had a question for you, Aaron. Sure. Um, kind of what's how do you think of independent businesses? What's your definition of an independent well, business? Well, that's a good question because I know that there's um, there can be kind of some differing opinion of what is independent. And with some of the guests that we're going to be having, I know some people may uh, – they kind of have disagreement. I mean, you do have big independents, but I mean, basically, it's to me an independent is one that's um, it's you know it's smaller than what are we typically uh, see as the big businesses. And I see it. I think the main thing that I see an independent is that it serves maybe one operation. Or I see big businesses as they have multiple levels. They're conglomerates because, like with Pepsi, I mean, even though you know, we hear the name Pepsi and they're known for soft drinks. I mean, they also own a number of other subsidiaries like they own Frito-Lay right. and other products. So to me, an independent business means that you're one that's um, that has kind of more a uh, – more of kind of a simple-lined operation. And, you know, there so there are all types. I mean, there are large independent businesses. I mean, you know, you have great kind of what some are called big organics like – you have Eden Foods or you have Theo Chocolate, which, I mean, these I would still call independent businesses, but they are you know, widely distributed. And then, you know, independent business can all go down all to like the mom and pop. Which Absolutely, is, which, which is, we kind of are. Yeah, we're right. a family business. So, um, you know, we're independent by our nature. Being a niche market, you know, we're kind of pioneers in our own field. Not to say that there haven't been other people selling cultures or, you know, uh, posting information about kombucha online. But I think just in terms of the sheer amount of information and research that we try to bring to our readership and really educate people about what kombucha is and how it works, coupled with our, our close attention to customer service, like that's really what we pride ourselves on is the level of support that we offer our clients. Because we understand kombucha, which a lot of people still haven't even heard of, um, and if you've ever seen one, which I know you have because you're making your own, can be kind of a weird thing at first. Um, so having that kind of level of personal care and information, I think, really helps our customers, our clients to feel totally supported through this process, which is which is what we want. Because we know that once you get into the habit of brewing kombucha, it's probably something you're going to want to um, maintain for a long time. So speaking of, how is your brewing process going? It's been good. It's kind of um, been uh, – haven't been brewing as much recently because kind of as I've been busy uh, with mm-hmm. other stuff. You know, still a lot of work underway for uh, I'm building the appropriate omnivore kitchen. That's uh, – oh. In the way, but um, but you know, even without brewing, I still drink it. In fact, you know, had some right before I came in this morning. Needed a kombucha to get in and uh, you know, hit another great show out of the park. So absolutely, um, it's become my daily drink. It's probably well, it is really the only thing I drink as um, you know, next to water for the most part, uh, like on a daily basis. Um, Any other? Were you a soda addict? Did you? I mean, you mentioned that you'll still occasionally have a cane. Uh, cane sugar soda, and I do too from time to time, but I often like to mix it with the kombucha. But was that something that you drank a lot growing up? Uh, growing up, yeah. It's something which – it was a few years ago that I kicked the soda habit because I um, – it was a thing for me of actually uh, – I was drinking diet soda, really not even for uh, for health reasons or what I thought were supposed health reasons. <laughs> um, I had this weird thing where I liked the taste of NutraSweet better, so hmm. – I was drinking Diet Coke because I liked the taste better. And yeah, I drank that um, almost every day. I mean I would have it for lunch when I like went out to eat because I do like – at least previously I like to uh, to go out for lunch to eat like almost every day at work. And it was just kind of a thing where then when I realized how unnatural it was, I stopped drinking that and – Was that hard for you to transition away from soda or did um, you find that to be easy once you made easy, the decision? Easy, yeah. For me, I find giving up drinks are the easiest thing to give up. It's uh, <laughs> it's other products that are that are harder. So I gave that up and at that time, it was kind of – I was more a strong supporter of cane sugar. Mm-hmm. So um, I tried a Mexican Coke and you know, just it goes to the thing of 
I never really liked the taste of regular Coke, regular Pepsi. <laughs> so it was a thing that since that's what the uh, the cane sugar Pepsi and Coke taste like, I didn't like it. So that was kind of then an easy way to just get um, any kind of soda out. And it was a thing where occasionally I would buy the cane sugar root beer. Mm-hmm. The, but then up until uh, doing kom- – what kombucha got me to quit was coffee. I was drinking that every day. Mm. And actually it was – I found that that was easier to, to quit. Um, it's been like easier to quit than say things such as like sugary desserts. Mm-hmm. I think the beverages are the easy. But I think it made sense to quit that first because the important thing with that was that I was able to do it when trying to quit any other type of food that's harder. I say to myself – you were able to give up coffee. You can give up, you know. You can give up uh, cookies too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think that that's you know one of the reasons why we definitely need to start replacing our soda pop is just this this concept of toxic overload. Um, as you mentioned, like the NutraSweet and all the chemical sweeteners. I mean, a lot of research has shown the negative effects that they have on your body, and. When we're already being bombarded with toxins, like the air is full of toxins, our water has chlorine in it, which kills our internal flora, Um, the foods, the processed foods industry, all of the weird corn, modified corn products that are in all our foods, not to mention the GMOs that aren't labeled yet, as you mentioned earlier in the show. I'm very excited about Prop 37. Me too. And you're the one, I think, that first told me about it when when you and I were both guests on The Good Green Witch, which uh, Mm. comes on an hour before us, that you're the one that I learned it, about it from. Yeah, and I mean, so this is really why people need to replace their soda with with something like kombucha or other fermented beverages. I mean, you've got kefir, which you can either do a water kefir or milk kefir, but um, you know, I think the kombucha it's the closest to a pop. You know, a lot of times you can flavor it, and I often call it my you know my blueberry pop. That's what I call the love potion because it's a blueberry lavender rose. It's got that great fizz. It's all natural and. It does what what you want pop to do, except it also helps to remove those toxins. Uh, I mean, think about it. When have you ever put sugar in a gasoline tank? <laughs> right. What happens? Right. The car doesn't run. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what do you think is happening with your body when you're constantly filling it with things like sugar? Too much sugar. It's not to say no sugar at all, but when you have too much sugar coupled with all these other toxins, your body doesn't run, and what because really what we are is bacterial sapiens. Nice. Now, I like that. Now, um, no, actually, I want to sidetrack a little because I like that you used the term pop because you're from Chicago. <laughs> I'm from Cleveland. And it really, everyone, I think, should call it pop because I don't know if you know uh, the meaning of soda or not. But, well, no. What is it? What's well, the, the thing is what, uh, what this, you know, pop or what people in our, you know, our adopted state of California call it soda mm-hmm. – um, the thing is uh, what what this stuff is made of is it's made of two things. One is made of the syrup. So like the Coke, that's where it gets the uh, kind of the flavor and that dark color. And what you mix the syrup with, with, you mix it with this thing called soda. So soda is a mixing agent. So to me, it doesn't make any sense why you would call it soda because it's, uh, you know, it's not saying the whole thing. Do we call it syrup? <laughs> Right, <laughs> syrup and soda. You know, it's, no, it's, it's, it's like it calling uh, it's, the bubbles pop. <laughs> yeah, it's like calling orange juice water because you mix uh, the oranges with a little water. <laughs> uh-huh. So uh, that's sidetracking it a little. Um, but well, so what I was so, saying is that we're bacterial sapiens, and what that means is that we are literally bacteria powered. Um, you know, they outnumber our human cells ten to one. Your entire body, the entire surface of your body, every. Um, inch of your skin, on your eyelashes, everywhere is covered in bacteria. Now, for some people, that might sound creepy and weird, but in fact, it's really important because the bacteria that are on the exterior of our body, they also line the interior. Our enteric system, which goes from our mouth to our end, is also entirely covered in bacteria. So here's an exciting visual for you. If you turn your body inside out, like from the mouth, you're still completely covered in bacteria. So it doesn't matter if you're inside out or outside in. Well, it kind of matters to you. But uh, point being just that, you know, bacteria are an integral part of our existence as human beings. And they help, they facilitate the communication between our cells. In fact, a lot of our human cells don't even know what to do or what function they're supposed to perform unless there's a healthy bacteria there telling them how to operate. So this... um, 
movement of, and uh, you know, not that hygiene isn't a good thing. Of course, hygiene is really important and it's definitely helped um, defeat a lot of disease. That's not what we're talking about. But this concept of constantly needing antibacterial soaps or taking antibiotics at the first sniffle has really depleted our force field. Um, being bacteria powered, when you go in and you kill all the bacteria with something like an antibiotic, you're not only destroying the quote-unquote bad bacteria, but also the good bacteria, the ones that actually help your body function properly. And, you know, this is why as kids we're supposed to play in the dirt. We're supposed to be exposed to a lot of different things so that our bodies can build up its immune system naturally. And when we take that all away, we really are taking away our force field and the thing that protects us, our healthy immune system, such that even when we come across you know, germs or viruses or, you know, things that can get us sick, if your immune system is weakened, then you're going to get sick. If your immune system is strong, even though you come into contact with those same bacteria, your body's going to be able to function at a level such that it can prevent any illness from actually occurring. That's a very good thing to bring up. And actually, I think that goes with what I talked about in our appetizers about these organic tomatoes versus conventional because what these pesticides do is they spray away a lot of like the dirt that touches it and everything so nothing can touch the the vegetables and i think that's a good re- that's the reason why organics there's more healthy uh benefits in it well another interesting thing about the organics and this is going to be uh, part of what i'm talking about at the fermentation festival in santa barbara is um you know it's really coming down to figuring out its environment it's so much you know you remember what your mom said you know if you hang out with those kids you're going to end up in trouble or, you know, the, the old saying of uh, one rotten apple spoils a whole bunch. The concept is that, um, you know, if you're in an environment of negativity, then you're going to behave negatively. So, for instance, our bodies is a chemical environment and um, we test that with pH. So pH is potential hydrogen. Um, a lot of people are familiar with the pH scale. It goes from 0 to 14 you know, 7 to 14 is the alkaline side and 0 to 7 is the acid side. And we need both in our diets. We need both alkalizing foods as well as acidifying foods because we need to be in balance. It's not about, again, one or the other. And and so when we're consuming a balanced diet of both of these, our bodies has the right environment that it can function properly. When we're over-consuming processed foods, which have, you know, too much sugar, too many of these things that causes our bodies to to be acidified, now we have an improper environment. And the chemical message that we're sending is that our bodies are ready to be invaded by disease. I mean, lots of studies have shown that cancer tumors thrive on sugar. They thrive on high fructose corn syrup. This is, if your body's demanding sugar, then you need to kind of take a look and see where your body is or isn't out of balance. Um, but that, I mean, it's hugely important that we have the healthy bacteria because when we do that, when we consume fermented foods along with these alkalizing foods, they help to bring the body back into balance so it can heal itself naturally. So then you have that environment that's properly disposed to preventing illness from actually um, infecting your organism. Right. So then what's your thought of these people do these alkaline diets where it's very heavy? Is that something that's too extreme? Would you say? Well, I, I think um, – you know, and even to be a little controversial here on the appropriate omnivore, even something like a vegan or a vegetarian lifestyle, I think, can be beneficial up to a point. Because, again, it's that helping people get off the processed foods. Um, we're so used to just buying the pre-made food, sticking it in the microwave where you're radiating it, oh. adding another level of, you know, toxin to it, and then consuming that. And when you have that cycle, breaking that cycle, it can be really important to do that through those types of diets. They can be very beneficial in, in terms of transition. Now, however, once you're through that transition, you need, again, balance. So, um, you know, in my personal preference is I like to include animal products in there to in order to get my B12 and some of those other elements. And like the grass-fed beef, which are high in the CLAs, they've got the right balance of the omega-3s to the omega-6s and, and all that really great stuff about um, that those things, uh, that's important. So, um, you know, we have to, not we have to, but, but thinking about environment is really important and thinking about our physical environment, right? You know, we're seeing the, the problem with all the runoff in the water supply with the, with the hormones, the, with the pharmaceuticals that get flushed through your body right back out into the system and how that's changing our environment and our ecosystem. So, you know, nobody lives in a vacuum. Everything we do is connected to 
everything else. And so when we make that choice to kind of clean our environment, that's a really positive choice in my opinion. I think so too. And I think certainly we need some type of animal product. I mean, I like how Sally Fallon in her kind of revised for food groups, she just lumps actually uh, the dairy and uh, and meat in, into one group. So I think, um, you know, vegetarianism, I'm all right with because, you know, as long as you can get like in that, preferably get like some pastured eggs and some raw milk and, you know, some even, some even vegetarians eat fish, which I mean, fish are very good source of omega-3 and of protein. But I, th- I do think, you know, we need uh, certainly some animal products. Um, you know, there's all, there's all, I'm all for like the cleanses, but afterwards then in order to, uh, to keep your bodies uh, thriving, I think we need the animal products. Now, going back a little to what you said earlier about um, replacing pops with, uh, with kombucha, I think something that has similar is it does have kind of the fizzy taste like in, uh, in a pop. So I think it is a very similar thing. And I would love to see more restaurants starting to serve kombucha. I know, I believe Cafe Gratitude, they have you can get kombucha there if you eat there. and Well, I'm also the master brewer at Leaf Organics um, on Washington Boulevard. So we have a full line of kombuchas there as well as the Hannah's Homebrew is also available for sale. So you've got a couple different kombuchas there. And, um, you know, I mean, there's I think there are more restaurants that are serving some of the commercial brands. But in terms of making it themselves, those are a little bit fewer and farther between. And here's the interesting thing. You know, soda pop is actually the fad. You know, soda pop only really came about um, after Prohibition occurred because, you know, what are you going to drink now that they took your beer and, oh. and other other beverages away? Um, so that's really kind of where the, the pop industry originated. Um, it used to be everybody drank ginger beer. You know, we drink ginger ale, right. which is a non-alcoholic form, but everybody was drinking ginger beer. Now hardly anybody ever drinks ginger beer. So it's really interesting kind of the shifts in um, – how all of that has changed the landscape of what exactly we're consuming. But um, ginger beer is a natural ferment as well, often fermented with what's called a ginger bug. Um, so, so there's a lot of ways in which the fermented drinks are actually the ones that have been around longer than these kind of imitation fermented drinks, right? The, the right. added carbonation is trying to imitate the natural carbonation that occurs in the, in the fermented beverages. So um, they're the ones who kind of are the fad, and I think they're starting to fade, which is exciting. Yeah, and some of the, uh, the ginger beers I know are becoming – you've actually seen some of those recently. Like I know um, one company that makes ginger beer, there's, there's Kavita, and there's also uh, Fentimans. So both of those at the Natural Products Expo, they are seeing yeah. that coming back. Absolutely. Well, and you know, uh, you know, but you have to read your labels because not all of those fermented drinks are actually fermented. You just mentioned the Kavita. Um, if you read the label, you'll see that in fact they're using a probiotic supplement. So it's not a, a natural fermentation process like we would think of in terms of a, a kefir water or a tibicos, something like that. So, you know, I'm, I mean, and that's what happens, right? Things get popular and then people want to figure out, well, how can I, how can I do this mm-hmm. on a larger scale? Well, that's not always easy with fermentation. You know, plus then, you know, when you want to go scale, then you're thinking inexpensive ingredients, right? So um, people start cutting corners and they try to find, they start to find ways to um, not provide you with the full fermentation. And I think that's what's unique about kombucha. And, you know, the, the market has shifted. There's a lot of different types of kombucha out there. Some of them I would consider are still, um, you know, authentic ferments, whereas others are more uh, uh, manufactured in that they're trying to, uh, go for volume rather than rather than for the artisanal quality. And part of the problem too is also um, there's a there's a small amount of alcohol created by the fermentation process that's completely misunderstood. Again, from our um, prohibition kind of mentality in terms of what's acceptable um, in terms of alcohol levels. Because the interesting thing is that um, kombucha actually does the opposite of what alcohol does. So it also brings up this, well, do we even fully understand the role of alcohol and its function in terms of that? And I say alcohol, but it's, it's so slight. It's such a slight amount. I mean, you've, you've had kombucha. Have you ever gotten a buzz? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and even if you do, it's, it lasts for such a short period of time. It's almost like as soon as I'm like, oh, there's my buzz. Oh, there it goes. Right. Well, <laughs> it's like so fleeting. It's, uh, it, it's hardly, you know, it, it's just kind of interesting. Yeah, hardly worth mentioning. It's just funny how you know people want to blow that out of proportion. Right. Because well, the thing is, it also has caffeine in it. So to say that you get buzzed at a product that also has caffeine, 
Yeah, and B vitamins. I mean, people who take B vitamin shots report a similar type of euphoric feeling. I mean, so who's to say if it's alcohol or it's your body's actually getting nutrition in a form it can use, which is so rare in our Western foods diet that it actually has a physiological reaction. It's like, whoa, I like this. This makes me feel good. I can really feel the benefit of consuming this. You know, and that's why our motto is trust your gut because your body knows what is good for it. The problem is with all the brainwashing and the propaganda of like, you know, the lipid hypothesis, fat makes you fat and all these things that we're kind of learning or unlearning as being um, misinformation and untruths and um, and that in fact have contributed to the obesity problem, have contributed to um, all the rise in autoimmune diseases and um, isn't, you know, they're not taking into account those other things that um, are important which is naturally fermented foods. You know, it used to be every single meal had a fermented food with it. Every traditional society had a fermented food. This is why you had sauerkraut on your Reuben, because it helped you digest the meat. It also allowed your body to absorb the nutrition better, because fermented foods, the bacteria go, it pre-digests the elements, which makes it easier for your body to absorb. So it's providing nutrition in a form that's bioavailable, and what that means is your body actually can recognize it. There's a physiological um, recognition and understanding of how to use that. You know, kind of what I'm really learning through this whole process of kombucha, you know, it has led me on this journey of learning more about our physiology and bacteria and everything, is that, um, you know, we we are not separate from from nature and that food is actually a way of communication. It's a language that we can use to communicate with our bodies. Right. So our bodies need certain nutritional elements. And the more that we can apply science to this, right, and figure, really figure out what it is we need, um, I think the healthier we can be. There's a, there's a whole new field that's arisen out of all of this study. You know, it started with the Human Genome Project, where they were trying to decode the human genome. Well, what they discovered through that process was, in fact, they couldn't understand the human genome until they understood the role of bacteria because they play wow. such a huge uh, such an important role in terms of our DNA and, and evolution. So from there, it shifted to the Human Microbiome Project, which is literally going into our gut and, and looking at the ecosystem that's in there. And it's like a rainforest. Every time they go back in there, they're discovering new bacteria, different things. And from there has come epigenetics, which is this concept that, you know, we we first thought, not that we first thought, but Science has thought that, you know, we inherited our DNA and that it's set in stone and it doesn't change and that's what gets passed down. Well, in fact, what they're finding is that environmental factors as well as dietary factors are contributing to shifts in DNA, that it, or not shifts in DNA, but that it turns on or off certain gene expressions such that certain hereditary diseases are influenced by environment or vice versa, right? So you're able to influence your DNA and your physiology through the foods that you're consuming. It's really exciting stuff. This is like cutting edge stuff that's going on in terms of all of this research. Absolutely. And certainly I like that you bring up the about how we used to have fermentation in all of our meals. And certainly for me, it's been a thing since discovering the Weston A. Price that I've certainly been incorporating a lot more fermented foods. I think that's the biggest change is including more fermented foods such as, I mean, you know, bread. Um, I love sandwiches and I love burgers. And so it's been a thing of getting into a to sourdough bread and real sourdough bread because there's another one where a lot of sourdough is not fermented. A lot of sourdough will have yeast and no starter culture. So it's important to include that. And Absolutely. Well, and speaking of sourdough, Jack Beesian of Beesian Bakery is going to be at the Santa Barbara Fermentation Fest as well. And his yeasts are – none of them are commercial. They're all wild yeast. And that, and that, again, is different too. Like we don't even think about, but in order to make the bread, they have to be factory producing all this yeast. Um, so when you're able to capture that from the environment, again, you know that it's physiological, already adapted to your organism because you already live in the same space with it. Yeah. Now, are some of these breads that they sell in stores, like some of the sourdoughs, even if they have a starter culture, are some of them, though, use like commercial yeast to make the culture? Well, yeah, sometimes they're using brewer's yeast, which is, um, you know, they have to create it or autolyze it for, through some kind of uh, process in order to create it rather than capturing it from the wild. So there's a couple different ways. And, the, and this has been a kind of a hotly debated topic in the, in the sauerkraut and fermentation world, too, is the um, aerobic versus anaerobic fermentation. But that's a whole other ball of wax that we, we can get into another time. Oh, okay, yeah, because I, I was interested in that because, you know, I've seen some, uh, some ones in stores that um, 
the sourdough. It says starter culture, but I didn't know if then there's different types of well, starter cultures. Well, even with cultures. the commercial yogurts, a lot of the commercial yogurts aren't even, they're only fermented for an hour, which hardly gives them time in order to fully cultivate the proper bacteria. So, and a lot of them are just, you know, plumped up with bacterial supplements. So, again, it's like now something that we knew was good for us, but has been commercialized. We now have to go back and find the, the version that is still in line with that traditional kind of way of making it because that's the way that works best for our bodies. But I'm really excited about this this festival. Oh, yeah, um, it sounds great. Tell us about some of the others because um, some of the other foods that we're talking about, you can, I know you can also uh, learn at the fermentation festival. Absolutely. Well, there, uh, as you mentioned, Monica Ford from um, Real Food Devotee will be there with a, a DIY crowd station. She's going to cover how to do um, sauerkraut. We're also going to have... Um, Jack Beezing will be there talking about sourdough. Mark McAfee's going to do a kefir, milk kefir demo. We also have coconut kefir um, and a yogurt demo as well. Plus, uh, Elena Luther from Culture Club 101 will be there with her root beer, which is fermented with that ginger bug. It's a really tasty, all-natural fermented root beer. Um, and lots of delicious food. There's going to be grass-fed beef from Day Days, um, from Rancho San Julian Beef. So there's going to be a lot of delicious food. It's a free festival, so uh, just come on down. It's going to be from 12 to 4 tomorrow. That's Sunday, July 15th at Tom Shepard's Farm and CSA, which is in Carpinteria, California. So um, we can post a link for the readers, but uh, hopefully the listeners, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be I was at the one last year, which was the inaugural event, and it was a little on the small side, but I think this year they're going to blow it out. I think so many people are now waking up to uh, fermentation and its benefits, and it's really, you know, it's percolating. And just like the kombucha culture and a lot of these uh, fermented foods, they reproduce. They make more of themselves. So we're kind of seeing seeing themselves, quote unquote, reproduce in the consciousness of other people. And, and so to come together around this type of thing is just a really great event. It's going to be a lot of fun for the kids. There's also going to be some live music. And I mean, who doesn't want to take off their shoes and stomp on some crowd? <laughs> nice. Now, Elena's root beer, is that the culture that used, is that similar to the kombucha culture? Is that a different type of culture? Totally different type of culture. So there's a lot of these kinds of cultures. And in fact, the ginger bug is also different from the water kefir, which is also known as tibicos, which is also different from the milk kefir, you know, um, and even the kombucha culture used to be referred to as a mushroom. And part of it is we have all these different cultures and, and when you think about ancient peoples, and they didn't have the, science, the scientific knowledge that we have. They had an innate understanding, but not necessarily the scientific vocabulary for it. So um, they've kind of lumped all these cultures together, like they call kefir, kefir grains, but they're not a grain. So we have this kind of terminology for it that isn't necessarily technical, but um, a lot of these ferments, they self-perpetuate, which is so exciting. And even things like the kraut... Um, that's coming just from the bacteria that are already on the lettuce. You don't have to add anything else. We put salt in there to help with the preservative and to to um, remove the water. But um, once it's in there, it's just the bacteria that are already present on the lettuce that are creating – or cabbage or lettuce that it's creating the kraut. Now, how about sauerkraut? Is there some sauerkraut uh, sold in stores that's not properly fermented? Well, um, some of it's pasteurized. And so obviously if you want the healthy bacteria, you want something that's going to be a raw, unpasteurized um, sauerkraut. Uh, Erewhon and the Co-Opportunity all have great um, raw fermented krauts that you can pick up uh, or even check out the Hollywood Farmer's Market or the Farmer's Kitchen in, in Hollywood. Um, there's also the Farmer's Market, but there's a restaurant there in Hollywood um, where, you know, they, they're even selling the fermentation equipment. So that's run by uh, Ernie Miller, who does the Master Food Preservers program, which is a, just a really great program, educating other people how to do those, those arts that we used to all do so well, canning and preservation and fermentation. I love the farmer's kitchen because I work right by there and it's a great place because they get all this stuff from the farmer's market in Hollywood and then and serve it. So that's certainly Fresh. one of my favorite restaurants. Right. Right. And so now we're talking about um, the the root beer that uh, Elena makes. And so that's certainly – there's a good alternative to the cane sugar root beer. And you were also talking a little earlier about mixing kombucha with like a Coke or Pepsi. So can you kind of give us a little more advice, kind of like how much uh, Coke do you pour in your glass and then how much kombucha? Sure. I mean, and, if, uh, and I think this is a great way. It. 
Oh, sorry, didn't mean no to. No problem. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think that kombucha is a great way to help with your soda addiction because, um, you know, a lot of people don't even understand that there's a physiological reason why they're addicted to it because of the chemicals in there. So, um, and what that means is a lot of people who are over sugarified find kombucha to be really sour and kind of almost offensive to their taste buds because they're they're just shifted to another focus, right? So the key is to kind of hide the kombucha, <laughs> so to speak. Um, so mixing it half and half with soda is a great way to start somebody out. And then as they start to get used to the flavor of the kombucha, gradually reducing the amount of soda and increasing the amount of kombucha. Now, typically I suggest people who are new to kombucha start with small servings on a regular basis. So a small serving is something like two to four ounces or four to eight ounces. So that's, you know, that's a quarter cup to a cup of kombucha per serving. Now, again, because you're getting these vitamins and this healthy bacteria in a form your body can actually use, it's kind of like having a little vitamin shot or a little boost. And this is why I think people get that energy burst. And they also say they just feel good from drinking it. So when you have it in these small servings, but throughout the day, you're just at different points giving your body a little pick-me-up. So that allows you to then continue functioning as you need. It gives you that little break you're craving, but then also gives you the energy to finish the tasks you need um, to finish for your day. So, um, so small, regular servings is how we like to think of kombucha because it's a tonic. So tonics are, um, are similar to adaptogens. Well, actually, they're kind of the same thing. So they have three specific qualities. Um, they're non-toxic. They're nonspecific, meaning they work for the whole body, and they bring it back into balance. So kombucha is is a tonic in that way and also an adaptogen in that it, it does help bring the body back into balance. And is there a certain flavor of kombucha that you could use stirring this out when you mix it with your pop? Um, well, you know um, – it's really up to you and what your flavor preference is. You could do an, uh, an unflavored version, which has a kind of uh, sweet, sour, apple cider type flavor. Um, if you do flavor it, like for instance, I love to mix ginger ale with my Wild at Heart, which is a ginger rose. The ginger rose is a little on the tart side, but I like that the tart balances the sweet of the ginger ale. So it's... You know, it's kind of going for that sweet sour, which we find in a lot of the candies anyways. I mean, look, you look at a Sour Patch Kid or uh, even a Jolly Rancher kind of has that sweet sour. So kombucha can embody that sweet sour flavor um, that a lot of people already like anyways. So so really it's going to just depend on the, the person and what they're drinking. You can also like... Like an iced tea, like you would throw a packet of sugar or something into an iced tea, you certainly could do that to a kombucha. You know, again, it's about balance. It's not this all or nothing mentality. It's not about no sugar whatsoever. I mean, we are sugar-based organisms. Our DNA structure is held together by, um, you know, sugar phosphorus, you know, a sugar phosphorus bond. So uh, even our our most minute structures require sugar on a certain level. But it's, again, that balance. It's like how much sugar, what type of sugar, and, you know, what are those sources coming at you? So um, so it is okay to add a little sweet to your kombucha if that's what helps it. You know, like they say, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Right. <laughs> in the most delightful way. So, uh, you know, that's another way we can think about it. You're, the, the health benefit of the kombucha is going to outweigh the small amount of sugar it takes in order for you to consume that. And, you know, flavoring is really one of the fun parts about kombucha. Right now in the Hannah's Homebrew line, we've got um, the Love Potion 99, which is super popular. It's a blueberry lavender rose. There's also Summer Breeze, which is a chamomile lavender, and Pink Lemonade, which is a strawberry uh, lemon thyme. So those are the fun flavors we got going for summer. I'm also doing some small batches of cucumber. I've been playing around with cucumbers is a lot of fun. And then um, my CSA just uh, sent over some delicious uh, Warwick plums. They're kind of they're a, a green gauge freestone plum. It's sweet and delicious, so I'm doing a bunch of experimental flavors with that. So, um, you know, for anyone out there who's already drinking kombucha and is thinking about trying to kick that $4 habit, um, making your own is so much fun and flexible and, and creative because you can you get a lot of control over that process. I mean, as you know from doing it yourself. What what flavors did you make? What yes, flavors? actually, I was just about to bring that up. Um, mm-hmm. So glad you asked because <laughs> the two ones that I've been experimenting with are one that is a berry flavored one because I love just the berry the berry flavored fruits. Of course, organic because. Those, uh, if you get those with pesticides, that's like a dirty dozen. Um, but like, because I used to love doing going to 
Jamba Juice and getting their smoothies. And I always loved their berry-flavored ones. And I've given that up now. So with kind of doing a berry-flavored kombucha is what I can go for. So, yeah, I love more just mixing in the different berries. I think that's my favorite one I've created. I also do like citrus because, you know, speaking of the sweet and sour, I love a lot of sour stuff. I mean, I love sour and salty. And I'm still uh, trying to perfect one that's like a citrus-flavored one, which still haven't quite done. I'm kind of thinking maybe uh, maybe one that's completely citrus is too much. So maybe try to combine like a uh, citrus with a little berry, combine those two. That could be really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's like the pink lemonade is a lemon strawberry. So that's that's really tasty. It's a great combo. I mean, it's just about finding the right balance between it because the sour of the lemon is different than the sour of the kombucha, but they, they do well together. Um, and plus, all of the health benefits of whatever you're infusing into your kombucha gets passed on to you. I mean, that's why it turns the color of whatever you put in there. My love potion is this beautiful purple color, and I don't add any coloring to it. It just takes it from the blueberries. So it's not only taking all those um, colors, but the flavonoids, the antioxidants. So all of the really great things about whatever you're putting in there is going to be passed on to you in your final product. So if you want to learn more about making kombucha, you should definitely check out our blog. we got loads of articles, videos, and tips, and that's at kombucha camp. That's camp with a K. Um, dot com. And then if you're interested in making your own, you should sign up for our free ebook and then check out our store, which is at store.kombuchacamp.com. And we've got loads of brewing supplies. Even if you're already a kombucha brewer, we've got a whole line of organic teas. My Hannah Special Tea Blend is very popular, and it's what I use as the base for all of my Hannah's Home Brew kombuchas. Um, but it's this great blend of five different types of tea, and I think you've used it to make your kombucha. I have, yes. That's uh, I use yours, so I I vouch by Hannah uh, Systems. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but you know, so we have all manner of – all level of, of brewing supplies and products and, you know, we keep trying to add more. We've even invented a couple of products. So in that way, I think we kind of stand out and are more independent than some of our competitors. Um, for instance, we invented a heating system that heats from the side. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but when the yeast go through their natural respiration process, they end up dying and collecting on the bottom. And if you're only heating from the bottom, like with a heating pad or something or a seedling mat, the problem is that the yeast aren't allowed to go through their full process and you keep reactivating them and you end up shifting the balance of your yeast versus bacteria. So by heating from the side, we allow the yeast to do their natural process, but also help maintain the temperature that the kombucha needs in order to thrive. And um, if you're here in the L.A. area, I also teach classes. So um, if you want to come and learn from the Kombucha Mama in person, definitely go to kombuchacamp.com. And if you look in the left-hand sidebar, you'll see a link that says Kombucha Camp Workshops. Click on that for the schedule and, and sign up. We'd love, to, we'd love to meet you in person. Now, I like what you talked about, the natural food coloring. And I've certainly with that, like with the berries, because I have like blackberries and raspberry stories, these dark ones. So it gets more of like a purplish color. And that's a good point to bring up about the whole natural food coloring, because so many of the things that we consume have these fake food colorings, like the syrup that you mix with the soda. Um, with the acid that like eats through batteries. I mean, right. what, all the things they show you that Coke does are is horrible. Right. Well, Think also you or, that in your body. Yeah. Or also like the food colorings that we have like in, uh, you know, in like um, frosting and in, in desserts because you can really just do it all natural because I think one of the most fascinating companies that I saw at the Natural Products Expo back in March was – that company Maggie's Naturals where they have all natural food coloring just made from things like fruits. Like, I mean, mm. just using beets, you can have like red food coloring. Absolutely. Well, we did a post on the Kombucha Camp blog about uh, dyeing your Easter eggs naturally with using things like yes, chamomile or turmeric or beets. You know, I mean, this is what people did. You know, they didn't have chemicals in order to dye things, and yet they wanted pretty fabrics or whatever. So they'd go out and harvest some plants, indigo or whatever, and dye their clothes. And so, you know, this I mean, people have been doing this for a long time. So it it makes sense to come back to the natural ones because. You know, we're again, we're overtoxified, and those chemicals just continue to accumulate, and that's where we see all this autoimmune disease. You know, and this is where we see generations. We've seen a few generations of people consuming a processed foods diet, and look, each generation's getting worse than the last. I mean, now it's normal for children to have eczema. I mean, I'm sorry, but that is not normal to me. That is not something that every child should be experiencing, and of course, it's not every child, but that even it should be, um, you know advertising products to help with that 
not that people shouldn't get help for it, but you understand my point. Oh, I know what you mean. That shouldn't be normal. Um, you know, that people are suffering from that and people are suffering. And I think that's really what this gets down to is people are sick of suffering. And what we have to do is remove the propaganda. All the things that we've been trained are treats are in fact poison. So when I was a kid, I thought nothing of grabbing a Snickers bar and a Coke for lunch, right? That was Mm -hmm. (laughs) wonderful fuel as a kid with our vending machines in high school. Uh, Obviously, that's not an ideal lunch to me anymore. And in fact, thinking about that just makes me cringe from the thought of all that sugar and just, you know, I mean, there's a reason your mom said don't eat all your Halloween candy because you will get a stomach ache because we're not supposed to consume sugar in those quantities. And um, you know, as people start to realize that and shift away from that, and the more fermented foods you eat, the less sugar you crave. So your body naturally comes back into balance the more of those foods you're incorporating into your diet. And I know you are a big fan of the naturally fermented pickles. I am. I mean, and that was the thing. I think I was raised pretty well that um, I think maybe that's the thing why it's not as hard for me to give up really any types of sweets because I was raised pretty well on um, on eating too much sweets. In fact, it's interesting that you brought up the thing about how pop uh, evolved out of the prohibition of beer because um, my parents as kids, they would not let me drink pop. And in fact, mm-hmm. I ended up thinking it was like bad. Like uh, yeah. the friends I saw drinking, I'm like, ooh, you're bad. You're drinking pop. <laughs> and yeah, and pickles were one of the things that I loved as kids that I think um, it's like my favorite food to eat as a kid. It still may be my favorite food to eat. It, and it really Are you is, salivating uh, now just talking about pickles? Oh, I am. Yeah. And it exactly. shows how I um, – I love uh, kind of back then I knew just that I loved the fermented foods. And mm. speaking of pickles and desserts, I don't know if you've heard of this place in Studio City called Suck It. Oh, I haven't. That sounds exciting. It, they make like gluten-free popsicles and they have a, actually a pickled flavor popsicle. Ooh, pickle and, pop. I mean their popsicles are pretty natural because they're made in-house. A few of them they add some sugars to but a lot of them they're just made with fruits and things. So – it's a great place I recommend to check out. It's called Suck It, and the full name is Suck It Sweets and Treats. It's on Tahunga in that cute little area of Studio City. So that's a good place. And I think actually I wanted to ask you because you talked about where you can get your kombucha kits. Um, where are the stores where we can find the kombucha camp? Absolutely. Well, um, so Hannah's Homebrew is carried uh, at Erewhon, which is over by the Grove on the north side of the Grove um, uh, at at Leaf Organics, where I'm also the master brewer, which is on Washington near Culver City, near Inglewood, Washington and Inglewood. It's also at uh, Be Local, which is a small uh, kind of co-op of local producers of food. Their their philosophy is, um, you know, nothing unnatural, nothing extraneous added, and that's over near Venice. Then I'm also at uh, Life Food Organic, which is another raw food place um, juice joint over in Hollywood on Cahuenga and Sunset. So there's a couple. Oh, and uh, let let me not forget Grassroots out in Pasadena as well as Culture Club 101, which is also in Pasadena. So um, so we're in a few places around town, and uh, that's one one place you can get it. You can also always just go to the hannashomebrew.com website and email us if you would like to take possession of some – artisanal kombucha here in LA and want to come pick it up, that would be great. Definitely reach out to us. Um, But yeah, really, as much as I make the drink, my real passion is teaching people how to do it themselves because it really is a simple process. And it's so empowering when you feel like I can make something that sells on the shelves for, you know, almost $4 a bottle. You know, there's something really empowering about that. And so many moms and families and, you know, so many people are introducing their children to it these days and finding it's just a great substitute for soda. It satisfies their children's desire for that bubbly stuff. But they also know they're giving them something that's really healthy and is going to benefit them as opposed to harm them over time. So, you know, like like you said, even that whole thought process of our parents' generation of, like, you're not supposed to have soda or you can only have it in small quantities. I mean, that's kind of totally disappeared, the um, the amount of two liters that are sold. And isn't that interesting in New York City right now? They're going to ban those extra large sizes of, of sodas. I, I don't know. Did you hear if that went through or not? I haven't heard yet. I kind of um, – I, I, le- I like kind of the logic behind trying to get people to eat less. I'm not so much for the banning of it, though, mm-hmm. that I feel mm-hmm. is uh, – well, certainly, I mean, and akin to the foie gras, obviously, you know. Right. Um, it's it's kind of interesting, although I agree. I think it's hard to legislate um, people's consumption habits. But by the same token, you know, if you're going to have a syntax on something like cigarettes or alcohol, 
why not have a syntax on things that that cause all these diseases that cause all the obesity or, right. or anything well, that has high yeah, a tax instead of a ban i'd be better at supporting yeah yeah something but then everyone complains. But then you're just taxing the poor people. I mean, it's it's just frustrating. And I think really that has to do with education more than anything else and access, right? And I, I think what's really exciting is what we've seen is people really turning to urban, um, urban farming and finding other ways to convert open space or can you know, lawn, uh, food not lawns, right? People are trying to take back these little pieces of grass, these pieces of ground, and and really trying to turn it into something that's actually productive, you know. And that was part of our patriotic heritage. If you look back at World War II. And and just the plethora of of propaganda that was telling people, you know, it's your duty to have a victory garden. It's your duty to raise your own chickens and have fresh eggs for everybody. You know, it's so interesting how we completely shifted away from that, but that people are um, getting excited and wanting to add that back in. So, um, you know, it's very exciting, this whole movement that's going on around all of this, with the fermentation, with the urban gardening, with just people coming back together and realizing that we need to help each other in order to proliferate as as a society, as a culture. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to hearing what's in the future of Kombucha Camp. Um, and again, the address to uh, find your uh, kombucha camp to get the starter kits and the kombucha. It's kombuchacamp.com and camp with a K. So Hannah, it's been great to have you here, um, but now we've got to go to our dessert segment for the show. All right, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate All it. Right. So now for our desserts, my recommendation of how to live appropriately for the upcoming week. Last month was fighting for foie gras. Now that the ban has gone into place, we have the first foie gras speakeasy. Kelly Dining in Culver City will be serving a free foie gras course with every dinner in July. This month, they'll also be serving foie gras dinners on Sundays. There will be a menu of five foie gras courses for a minimum donation of $95. And if you haven't been tuning in already, you should be listening to the Real Food Summit interviews that have been going on daily. The interviews are free to watch the day that they're posted. If you miss some or want to catch them again, you can purchase the series at realfoodsummit.com and hear great interviews by people like Joel Saladin, Mark McAfee, Chris Masterjohn, and more. And lastly, Hannah mentioned it during our main course, but it's so great that it bears mentioning again. This Sunday in Santa Barbara at Tom Shefford's Farm in CSA, from noon to two will be the Santa Barbara Weston A. Price's second annual fermentation festival. See featured speakers Hannah Crum and Mark McAfee, as well as other great vendors such as Real Food Devotee, Day Day's Best Ever Beef, and Bezian's Bakery. That's all for this week of the appropriate omnivore. Next week, my guest is Rory O'Dell, general manager of the soon-open Burger Lounge in Beverly Hills. To find out more about my news stories, my guest, and the events happening this week, visit my blog at appropriateomnivore.blogspot.com. 